Welcome to our weekly podcast. As we begin a new message series on the I Am statements of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of John, I'd like to invite you to open your Bible with me to John chapter 6. On seven different occasions, Jesus said, I am. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. All of these I am statements clearly describe who Jesus is as our Messiah, Savior, and Lord. All of these statements teach us about how we can know Jesus, how we can connect with God on a daily basis, and how we can live our lives for him in such a way that makes his name famous. The I am statement that we're going to read about today is a truth that every person needs to hear. The I am statement that's found in John chapter 6 teaches us about how Jesus is the only one who can give us the full life that God wants us to live. Now, before we read today's passage, I'd like to give a little background on the Gospel of John and provide some context for what we're about to read. The author of this Gospel is John the Apostle, the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. James and John were often called the sons of thunder by Jesus, and for good reason. These two brothers had some serious thunder-like qualities about them. One example, and I think the best example, is found in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, which says, As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. It's no secret that Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And there's a number of reasons for this. But Jesus made it clear on several occasions that he had come for all people, including Samaritans. Now, the gospel is for everyone. Well, apparently, James and John didn't get the memo because their solution to Jesus not being welcomed in the way they thought he should have been was to call down fire from heaven, completely destroying everyone who lacked hospitality. Jesus turned to them, and the Bible says he immediately rebuked them. This word rebuke means to reprimand, to strongly warn, or to restrain. So Jesus had to restrain James and John. From this example, it's easy to see how they were called the sons of thunder. Now, John wasn't perfect, but God got a hold of his life and used him in a way that has advanced his kingdom for over 2,000 years. Throughout this series, we're going to have a front row seat as we learn more about how God can take what little we can offer, how he can multiply it and use it for his glory and purposes, how God can use what we offer for eternal things. After spending over three years with Jesus, John's life was radically transformed. You could say it was turned right side up, and he was able to pin words to a page that we now refer to as the Gospel of John. His sole purpose in writing this book was to encourage his readers to put their faith in Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and Lord, to follow him with their lives. In fact, his entire Gospel is arranged to lead us to this very conclusion. If you were to sit down and read this book cover to cover, you'd notice some important themes. For example, John loved the number seven. The number seven is important throughout God's word, as it's often used to communicate completeness, wholeness, and perfection. 
John used the number seven to demonstrate how Jesus is the complete and perfect fulfillment of all that was promised in the Old Testament. John begins his gospel in chapter one by giving us seven titles or seven descriptions of Jesus. These are titles that help us understand who Jesus is. So we read about how Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John was describing how he's our Savior. We read about how Jesus is the Son of God. So he was fully God during his time on earth. We also read about how Jesus is the Son of Man. So while he was fully God, he was also fully man. We read about how Jesus is the Messiah, the one all the prophets wrote about throughout the Old Testament. We read about how Jesus is the King of Israel. He's the only king worthy of praise. We also read about how Jesus was from Nazareth. I think this highlights that he was a real person from a real place. In chapters 2 through 12, John recorded seven signs or seven miracles that Jesus performed. And he does this to help us understand who he is. In chapters 6 through 15, John recorded the seven I am statements that Jesus made about himself. Again, helping us understand who he truly is. The name I am is God's covenant name in the Old Testament. If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asked God to tell him his name, God said, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, that I am has sent me to you. And we know that Yahweh is the name of God that's derived from the Hebrew word for I am. God was reminding Moses about his covenant promises to Abraham to Isaac and Jacob, and he was reminding his people about his unchanging nature, that he was and will always be faithful to his word. So when Jesus referred to himself as I am, this was a big deal. The first I am statement that we're going to read about is found in John chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For us to better understand what Jesus was saying and how it applies to our lives today, we need to look at some of the events that took place leading up to this statement. John chapter 6 begins with the well-known story of the feeding of the 5,000. And we know this only included the men. Uh, There were women and children present that day, so it's likely that the total number was 15,000 or 20,000 even. This story sets the stage for Jesus' first I am statement. Jesus had just crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd of people were following him because they'd witnessed some of his earlier miracles, specifically healing the sick. The Jewish Passover celebration was about to take place, which explains the large number of people who were in the area. Thousands of Jewish families would have been traveling from their homes to Jerusalem during that time. It's possible that John decided to mention the Passover to frame what was about to happen with bread and what Jesus would say about himself as being the bread of life. In this story, there's a major problem. You see, a large crowd of people had followed Jesus into a remote area and they had apparently forgotten to bring a sack lunch for the day. The problem was how to meet the needs of such a large group of people. The disciples weren't exactly in the catering business. Well, four solutions to the problem were proposed, but only one was the right solution. First, the disciples suggested that Jesus should just send the people away. You know, there was too many people to really care for, so let's just send people away. Let's get rid of the problem. That was their initial response. 
But Jesus knew that hungry people, especially children and the elderly, wouldn't be able to make the trip without nourishment. Trying to brush the problem under the rug wasn't the right solution. The second solution came from Philip. Now, Philip looked around, saw how many people there were. He counted the cost of what it would take to feed over 5,000 people. And he realized that they would need almost seven months' worth of wages if they were going to provide enough food. Now, far too often, we fall into the trap of believing that more money, more wealth is the answer or the solution to our problems. As we'll see later on in today's message, that's rarely the case. Well, a third solution came from Andrew. We know that Andrew was Peter's brother. He found a young boy who was smart enough to pack a sack lunch, or at least his parents were. He brought two small fish and five barley loaves that day. And while Jesus used the faith and the obedience of this young boy who was willing to give away his lunch, recruiting other people wasn't the right solution to the problem either. The fourth solution, and the right one, came from Jesus. You see, he used the young boy's lunch, blessed it, broke it, and then gave the food to his disciples, who were then able to hand it out to the rest of the masses. It's important to recognize and remember, this miracle took place in the hands of Jesus, our Savior, not in the hands of the disciples. He's the one who multiplied the food. He's the one who caused the miracle to happen. They just experienced the joy of handing it out. Well, the people were fed and satisfied. They were fat and happy, and there was enough food left over, even for the 12 disciples. One commentator suggested that God had planned for 12 baskets to be left over in order to demonstrate how he cares for the nation, so he cares for the masses, but he also cares for the individual. Jesus met the needs of the group, but he also met the needs of the individual that day. This story is found in the first 21 verses of John chapter 6. And it's important to keep in mind if we're going to understand Jesus' first I am statement. Verses 14 and 15 really act as a bridge leading to what happened next. This is what we read. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he's the prophet we've been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. So the people liked what they saw and apparently wanted to make Jesus their king. They wanted a political leader, a political figure who would take care of them, someone to provide for their needs and make life easier. If you and I were living under oppressive Roman rule, I don't know that we would have responded any differently. And we often do the same kind of thing in our day today. A lot of people, many people, put their faith and their hope in politics. They put their faith in the person they believe should hold office and in the word of our government. There are some important lessons for us to learn from today's text. And we learn most of them from the different responses of the crowd. Each response represents a solution to our human needs. But as we're going to see, human solutions only produce human results. What we need are God's solutions. The first solution that doesn't hold any weight comes from John chapter 6, verses 22 through 26. And this is what we read. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. The people were once again looking for bread, but on this day, it was the bread of the materialist. The bread of the materialist. That's going to be our first point for today. The crowd of people asked Jesus a question. They said, Rabbi, when did you get here? But instead of answering their question, Jesus addressed their motives for why they were looking for him. And they were materialists. They believed the lie that their lives would be better off if only their stomachs would be full again. Have you ever heard the term rice Christians? Missionaries in third world countries could tell you all about rice Christians. Rice Christians are people who quickly convert to Christianity because they're promised food medical care, or some other kind of provision for daily life. But once the rice runs out, once the medications are all used up or the help stops coming, they quickly renounce their faith. And we have rice Christians in America as well. We live in one of the wealthiest countries on the planet, and we often like our faith to reflect our expectation for comfort and security. For example, Many people who can and should gather with the rest of the church on Sundays have decided to stay in their pajamas and just do church from the comfort of their own home, completely missing out on community. And we typically only sign up to serve in an area in the church if it's something that interests us. You know, we fall into the trap of believing that interest is the deciding factor in serving God. I think as a whole, many American Christians only follow Jesus if it's comfortable inconvenient. Friends, more comfort and security are not the solution to our greatest problems. More comfort and more things will never fulfill us in the way that only Jesus can. The materialistic solution didn't work in the feeding of the 5,000. They were hungry again the very next day, and it doesn't work today. If the goal of our lives is the pursuit of more, we're always going to be left wanting more. Jesus was the only one who provided the bread And he's the only one who can provide what we need today. Well, the people were looking for bread, but they were also looking for the bread of the legalist, which is not a great solution. The bread of the legalist. That's our second point. In John chapter 6, verses 27 through 29, we read these words. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. The crowd said, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? In other words, Jesus, just tell us what to do. What list of religious rules and regulations do we need to follow in order to have full stomachs again? We'll do whatever it takes. Responding to their question, Jesus said, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Jesus was giving them a very direct statement about what would bring them into a right relationship with God, what would ultimately satisfy their needs. And guess what? It wasn't materialism, always desiring and acquiring more things. It wasn't a list of rules and regulations. The solution to their problem was a genuine faith in Jesus. In the New Testament, that word belief or faith means that you trust what God's word says and you obey what it tells you to do. Now, with this in mind, it's easy for Christians to fall into the sin of legalism. 
Trusting what God's word says and obeying what it tells us to do is all about relationship, not rules. The problem for first century Christians and for 21st century Christians like us is that it's easier to make a list of rules and regulations than it is to build a relationship. I'll echo something that Gunner said in his message last week, that God doesn't just want us to have a change of behavior. First, he wants us to have a change of heart. If you're in Christ, the Bible says that you have God's Holy Spirit living inside of you. And part of the Holy Spirit's job, part of his role in your life, is to write God's law on your heart. You know, he wants to help us learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus. Here at OCC, we believe that the Bible is for learning. We want to grow in our knowledge of God's word, but it's also for living. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. You're never going to find a list of do's and don'ts hung up on the walls of our building. You know, a list of man-made rules and regulations. We don't have a dress code here at our church because we want people to come as they are. What you will find are messages that come from Scripture. A challenge to each and every person to read and study God's Word. A community that grows together as we learn how to apply God's Word to our lives. And a focus that prioritizes a personal relationship with Jesus above everything else. The only work God wants from you is to believe in Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about a works-based salvation. We know that we're saved by God's grace through faith. He was talking about the work of God in and through our lives. We know that faith is a gift. It's a gift that God gives us. As we believe in Jesus, we're called to trust God's word and to obey what it says. This is the kind of bread that leads to life. The bread of legalism only leads to death. Well, the people were looking for bread that day, but it was the bread of the sensationalist as well. The bread of the sensationalist. That's our third point. We read about this in John chapter 6, verses 30 through 34. And this is what we read. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. When Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that kind of bread every day. Do you recognize what the crowd was asking Jesus to do? They wanted him to prove that he is the Messiah, that he's the true bread that they needed. They tried to use scripture against Jesus as a way to entice him into proving his identity. This was a really odd request, especially since not one day earlier, they'd witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. And many of them were following Jesus because they'd witnessed him physically healing other people. Jesus was encouraging them to put their faith in him, to seek God, not a miracle, not a show. They were still asking for physical bread, just like their ancestors had done In Exodus 16, when God told Moses that he would provide bread or manna from heaven. Jesus wants to break down the temporary walls of materialism, legalism, and sensationalism to provide a permanent solution in our lives. He was trying to teach them more about who he is as the bread of life. The only one who could fill them up, give them fullness and purpose. For these people, yesterday's miracle was not enough. 
They wanted something fresh, something new that would wow them in the moment. The bread of the sensationalist is not a solution for a life that will satisfy for very long. Wanting to be wowed at every turn, wanting the music to be just right every Sunday, or the preacher's words to give you that feeling, or jumping on the bandwagon of the latest spiritual craze. These things will only leave us wanting more and not in the right way. Well, Jesus used this opportunity to share his first I am statement. The people were looking for bread, but it was the wrong kind of bread. What they needed was the bread of the genuine believer. The bread of the genuine believer. That's our fourth point. We read about this in John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. The original language in verse 35 is very strong, where Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. The name I am comes from two Greek words, ego emi, which translates I, I am. Jesus was saying, I, I am the bread of life. This is a statement of strong identity. This is who Jesus is. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the gate for the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the true vine. Jesus is God's solution for life. He's what we need to make our lives satisfying, meaningful, joyful, and eternal. Jesus is the bread that we need every single day. He's the solution for life that's truly life. Jesus was showing these people that if they would only believe in him, if they would trust him, follow him with their lives, obey God's word, and consume him like they would consume bread, and they would experience real life. A lot happens between verse 41 and the end of the chapter in verse 71. There's a lot of verses there. I want to encourage you to go back and read John chapter 6 today when you have some free time. But as I wrap up the message, I want to draw your attention to a few verses towards the end of the chapter. I'm going to read verse 60, and then we'll look at verses 66 through 69. So John chapter 6, verse 60. Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And then we'll jump down to verses 66 through 69. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? You know, I think this was a really hard day for Jesus, having to see all of these people turn and desert him. But Peter's response in verse 68 and 69 I think this provides some encouragement, some encouragement for our lives. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? He's saying, where would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. So friends, we have a choice to make today. It's a choice that we need to make every day. 
Are we going to grumble against God's will for our lives? Are we going to complain when the storms of life come? Are we going to believe that God is the bread that we need? He's our provision. Will we keep eating the bread of materialism, you know, bread that doesn't last? Will we keep eating the bread of legalism, the bread that leads to death, the, the bread of rules and regulations? Will we keep eating the bread of sensationalism, you know, always having to be entertained and wowed in our faith? Or will we eat the bread that leads to life by putting our faith in Jesus? John chapter 6, verse 35 says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty.